Good morning, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast. I am Aisha Elliott, and this is Black Girl from Eugene. So I hope everyone is doing well. I hope we're all surviving and thriving through our new sense of whatever is going on in the world, because this is wild. How do we choose to be here at this time? I mean, you know, if we chose to be here at this time, I'm presuming we all have something very important to do. Um, so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just get started and first thank all of my Patreons who have maintained and supported me and anyone who is thinking about supporting me, please, $5 makes a huge difference in maintaining this podcast and um if I reach a certain goal, I will be able to actually expand this podcast, which is what I really want to do. Um, and now that I have announced that I will be moving to Costa Rica at the end of next month, which is August, um, I will, the podcast, so everyone understands, and the work that I do as an executive advisor uh, to anti-racism integration, um, all that's still happening. It doesn't change because I moved to Costa Rica. I'm just physically moving because the pressure and the ridiculousness of the United States is too much for me to do at this juncture in my life, post-trauma um, from all types of things in my life as the years have gone on, which we will discuss trauma and healing today. Um, so anyway, I just want to say that everything is remaining the same. I will still be working in an Oregon-based and United States-based way, just virtually, and I'll be physically in Costa Rica living my best life. Um, with that being said, no further ado, um, I do want to talk about trauma and then and joy. So it's something that is uh, super important to me and it's very relevant to my life. And as a black woman, it's something that I think we are absolutely not afforded to express outwardly. And um, to all my black folks out there, I only want and hope that my life and the things that I have been through are a source of inspiration and or thought and reflection. So, you know, always humble and always in a uh, a sense of, of um, what is the word I'm looking for? Always in a sense of growth. So we're never really finished ever, right? So um, I think most of you know who's been following my podcast long enough. 2015, I was assaulted by police officers, Eugene Police Department, while I was trying to protect my son who was having a mental health uh, break at the moment, um, at that, at that moment. And we were severely injured, um, went to court, lost the court case, um, because the jury did not believe that police officers would actually behave in the way that they in fact behaved. Um, that was 2015. We're in 2022 and I still have physical, uh, um, issues from the issues from the attack. And, um, you know, nothing huge at this point. I've been going to physical therapy forever. And uh, I've also had my own, you know, folks who've been working on my body ever since. And so if you didn't know me, you wouldn't be able to tell. But um, I can tell and the pain is still very real. And the align the, the unalignment of my, my neck is still very real. So um, anyway, what I, I say to say, since then, my, my life has not gotten 
any easier uh, in terms of personal setbacks and personal uh, issues that you would think would stop a person, would, would could have derailed all of this uh, that I'm doing. But in fact, the incident and the incidents after that have only inspired me to reach further and through and past that, that, that pain. Not to avoid the pain, because I think a lot of people misunderstand that because I have accomplished things and experienced trauma in this at the same time, as they kind of put it together as in like one happened um, and then the other happened, but really it's both, right? It all happened together and it happened because one was evident to me of release, right? It was evident to me that continuing to hold on or continuing in the same position would only then cause more pain or more tension. The tightness would only would only increase. But what I do realize looking back over the years is that even in that space, um, you know, the tightening had to happen because without that tightening, without that opposition, without that really stiff pull, I probably wouldn't have moved. I probably wouldn't have thought to to get out of the position. I probably, knowing me, would have just fought harder to see why it was why it was falling apart. Instead of understanding it is falling apart, and that is the indication to move on, not to work harder to save it, right? Sometimes, um, sometimes, and I'm not saying when things get hard, you just bail. I'm not saying that. There is a point when trying to save it is hurting you more than it's saving the situation. And that to knowing this yourself and to trying to be like as, um, as open and understanding and, 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 and loving to yourself is to know when you've reached your limit, to have some sort of boundary before you are completely and totally stomped on. Um, that's the thing. And so also, as I'm saying this, you might hear my grandchildren in the background who are refusing to take a nap. So so please excuse that noise if you do hear it. Um, anyway, back to what I was saying. So this idea of like letting go when it's one of the, the the strongest and and most internal pulls you have is to to keep holding on right I mean this could be love of um, and dedication and obligation and all of these things to family to friends to your children like at some point you know me as a mother bear uh, and I'm air quoting mother bear you know had to at some point understand that my children had to fight this world on their own and hope that what I taught them kicks in when the hardest part uh, is facing them. You know, my children, my first set of children, and I say that meaning that I um, I have three children and now I have three grandchildren that I'm raising. So I have three children and all of them are adults now. And one of the hardest things with that police brutality was that I had to allow my son to somehow navigate that system in some degree on his own, knowing that the justice system would only see him as an angry black man. Anyone knows my son, he is the the sweetest and smartest man you would ever, ever meet. Um, so it's one of those things that um, you as me as a black woman to, to uh, have trust, there is no trust in the system, 
right? There's, there, I don't trust the system. What I could only trust is that my children have been savvy enough and smart enough to watch me navigate and watch their family navigate and their uncle navigate and understand that the, that we have to be 10 steps ahead because the system is trying to own not only uh, uh, block progress, but really gaslighting the progress in the in the space that we know that is to be correct, right? We know what is to be correct. And we've never seen it. But we know that's what's in writing. We know that's what's how it's supposed to work, like supposed to, and I'm air quoting that. But when you understand that the system is, is um, you know, behaving and working and, and functioning for the benefit of white people, that means, you know, us, we're, we're going to get the shit into the stick every time. So understanding how to work that and how to work around that and work through that and even to make that work for you is a skill. It's not given to us. And so, um, you know, going through my past as I'm getting ready to let go of Eugene, there's so much beauty and there's so much love that I have experienced in Eugene being born here. But um, my family has always moved around and moving around for us is not a big deal. But as I look at it and I look to see what, um, what, why Eugene has never really allowed me to blossom uh, the way that I know and how, what, what about Eugene in my experience have I convinced myself that I cannot do? right? The gaslighting and the racism um, and sexism that I have, have experienced, you know, here in Eugene has been pretty lifelong. And so when you talk about internalized oppression, you know, I definitely struggle with, with narratives that white folks have in, in the area of living without real uh, community or a community that doesn't reflect my, my values has real lifelong implications. And so as a grown woman, you know, it's something that I have to face or it will just repeat. That whole like just try to get through it without actually looking at it is just something that I see way too much. The bypassing um the the show up to work and just keep it going, you know, uh this it's not it's not appropriate it's not proper it's not expected it's not expectation it's not meeting the expectation to see yourself as a whole person i mean honestly like if you just think about how what rules what expectations of this society are actually asking you to be a human being you know and that part you know is where i have to watch myself because i'm really good at at matching the assignment I'm really good at doing what is expected of me. The problem is now that I'm an adult and I'm looking back and now that I'm very, very solid in my authenticity in terms of of um, if I have to be the only one in the room, then I will be. That's not negotiable for me anymore. Being Having that second seat and accepting that second seat is no longer a option. And some people believe that that has to do with strength. It actually doesn't have to do with strength in my uh, in my experience. What it has to do with is resolve. I will not, you know, it has to do with courage. I will not continue in the same space that I was. I don't fit there anymore. I don't relate. I would be inauthentic if I'd continue to, if I, if I began 
and or for some of you continue to buy to bypass your actual truth just to maintain the status quo. The status quo is hurting not only me and my neighbors, but it's also hurting the person who wants to maintain it. It's stifling. It's sad. It's comfortable in a way that doesn't allow anything to develop. You know, it's like, oh, I know this routine over and over and over again. This is the top of my game. It's not the top of anyone's game. It's just a known It's just something to know the next day so you don't have to be uncomfortable. And that, to me, you know, people can live their whole life that way. But I can't, I can no longer surround myself with that type of thought process. So, you know, as I look back in my past and how Eugene has been beautiful for me and also how Eugene has been extremely painful for me, I figure what I have let go in the times that I have grown, you know, and um, it's just been so radically uh, shifting all throughout every every incident, you know, every um, growth opportunity, you know, every piece that has been just another sign to let me know that it's time for me to move on. Over the years, you know, um, I'm like thinking since I, since. I have been uh, assaulted. That is when the development of Black Girl from Eugene came from. But there's so much even before that. I mean, my whole life can be a complete book, in which, you know, some of y'all know I am writing. Uh, but when I look back at myself, I look back at how much adversity uh, has been given to me for opportunity of change and growth. And, you know, they always say that the most interesting people have. Uh, what would be called, you know, a rough life. And I feel like looking at loss and looking at transformation uh, and knowing that it's taking you somewhere and to feel that deep, deep and profound pain and to be able to wake up the next day and say, okay, you know, I'm here. These are the strengths that I have to get me through this day. If I only have the strength to look forward and be and be loving and be kind today, to say thank you, to to help someone up, to, you know, put an extra dollar on the tip, that's all I have to give today, then that's what I have that's what I will give. And that makes those small gestures make huge differences when your life is on fire all around you. And we go down to the global uh, on fire and uh, and looking around. And if we can just understand that there's nothing about this whole world and there's nothing about the, every interaction that you have that does not impact that entire world. Honestly, you know, the it it absolutely does. And and I think walking through the world, not trying to prove yourself to the world, but trying to understand yourself to yourself is more profound uh, work that can cause ripple effects to the benefit of of each to the benefit of each other and the benefit of your neighbor. And I not preaching to the choir in any way. These are thoughts that I've had to make to continue my to continue my uh, path. And uh, you know, nothing. No one's perfect, of course. Uh, I have all kinds of things I'm continually working on. And the way that I see how to walk through and walk past the past and to say thank you for its depth 
is just another next step of elevation. And I'm offering that to you. You know, um, understanding purpose, uh, showing up every day. It's, it's interesting how we want to skip past the process and just get to the goal. And the process never is comfortable. You know, the process is always trying to reach the limit to what you are and then go two steps for, further. And, uh, oh, man, I was um, in the middle of doing a photo shoot that's coming out hopefully, uh, probably after I move next month. But it's called, uh, you know, Black Joy and My Liberation. And we're going to go around the city of Eugene and hit these places that were profoundly traumatic to me. And I'm going to take pictures with them in my newfound joy. And um, the first spot when I was talking to my photographer, shout out. Uh, Anyway, the first stop we'll go to is a bus stop. And I was, uh, I had to have been 10 years old, I'm going to say maybe even nine, because I was in fourth grade. And I was, it was at uh, 18th and Buck Street. There's a bus stop right there. And I was 10 years old. And back then, you know, there was, um, you could, like, your kid could ride the bus. And I used to ride my bus. Uh, I used to ride the city bus um, to to school, to friends' houses. And like I said, the bus system here is really intricate. It was, back then, it was very safe in the uh, early 80s um, or mid-80s. And so it wasn't really a big deal that I'd be riding the bus. So I was at the bus stop. And um, I remember so well. It's so funny because my memory goes back and forth whether the truck was red or the truck was blue. I can't quite land on that. But I know for sure that there was four men in the back seat, in the back uh, pickup part of the truck, like the bed of the truck. And they came by and they were yelling and I looked up and they spit like beer all over me. Just all, I was drenched in spit and, and beer. Um, and I remember not, I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I was like, I'm all wet. Right. And it was gross. And so I looked at the truck as they went by, like laughing, screaming and doing their thing. And I looked at my, I looked up the hill where my house was and I just started walking home to go change my clothes. I don't even think I told my parents what happened. I just matter of factly changed my clothes and went back to go meet my friend. And I think about how much the emotion wasn't there for me. It was just like, oh, these a-holes. And then like, go fix yourself up, pick yourself back up and, and go about your business, right? Um, and being 10 years old, I didn't know what else to do. Uh, fast forward to the next time that I had... Um, uh, things thrown at me from a truck. You know, it was in Cottage Grove, but it was uh, balloons this time, you know, water balloons. Not as not as disgusting, but still an attack nonetheless. I had to have been about 13, maybe 12. I believe my sister was with me as well. Anyway, that's the second time that I can remember. Now I back up and I thought about like the safety of and of vulnerability of black girls and myself growing up. And I, I remember, you know, as I look at the trust and the distrust that I have uh, in general in relationships, 
And I thought, where did this come from? Because I have fantastic relationships with my brothers and my, and I have, and I love my family very much. Um, and they love me very much. And I thought about this bus driver I had in third grade. And I would drive, I, I would ride the bus from the town, side of town that we lived on to the other side. Again, it was safe back then. So my mom would walk me to the bus stop. I would jump on the bus. Um, it would cost 30 cents. It's ridiculous. Um, and then I would ride LTD over to uh, school. And I can't remember his name for the life of me, but the bus driver always knew he was always there because I was, you know, it was a daily route, daily routine. So one day, it had to have been like, at least, you know, we've been riding this bus for months and months and months. And one day, you know, him and a couple guys are standing around. And I remember getting on the bus and he said, hey, um, have you ever seen this? And he showed me a porn magazine and it was a woman in a really, um, you know, uh, uh, men, you know, uh, multiple men having sex with her or posing to have sex with her. And they all kind of laughed. And I just backed out and went and sat down. You know, again, white men and me. Fast forward, I'm thinking about when uh, I was in high school, South Eugene. And I had actually uh, been transferred out of South Eugene because I was getting into trouble there and had gone to Sheldon for a moment right before uh, we moved to Costa Rica when I was 15. I remember a teacher, uh, and a teacher, I was in chemistry because I was advanced in science, uh, and but I was terrible at math. And so, uh, so chemistry, if anyone knows, is a mix of the two. And I was struggling hard with chemistry, uh, you know, as I think a, the beginning year, sophomore year, or maybe it was freshman, because like I said, I was in advanced sciences. And I realized that I seriously needed to um, talk to somebody to get help with the class. So I went to my counselor, a counselor, a white woman. And in that space, I was like, I need help. I need to like, you know, I need tutoring or something. Um, I am not doing well in chemistry. And this white woman told me, well, then I should just drop it. And it's probably over my head and I probably need to let it go. And so me being, you know, who a child and my parents, you know, back then, it wasn't like they are now where you're just involved in every single second of your child's life and every single thing that they do. Um, It was really up to me. And I just said, heck, yeah, let me drop this thing because I don't want to be stressed out about this. So I basically dropped it. And then... uh, Fast forward, we moved to Costa Rica. I did my sophomore year there, um, but because it it was a local school in Costa Rica, the United States actually wouldn't would not accept those the time that I spent in Costa Rica doing like in my finishing my sophomore year. So I moved to Houston from Costa Rica, and in that space, um, we actually. I was there with black folks and I was in a school that had black folks in it and black teachers and black counselors. And they were trying to like help me graduate on time because I had just spent this whole year uh, in Costa Rica's school system. And now um, I was in uh, Houston and I was trying to like figure out, you know, how to graduate on time with the credits that I had from the schools I went to in Eugene. And she said, well, I see that you tested very high and this is a black counselor. See, you test it very high in in science, not so great in math. So um, 
what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, they told me that I just need to go ahead and forget this track of science and move on and to something else. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing because this was a long time ago. So she looked at me and she said, you let that uh, a white woman tell you that you can't do this work? And I said, uh, I looked at her and it dawned on me. I was like, oh, damn, I definitely did. <laughs> I definitely did sell myself short with the advice of a woman who had my did not have my interest in mind. And she said, you take your little self back to that class and you take your little self back to and you tell them that you will be in this class because I was trying to get into the to the class there um, and, and figure out what to do with my stuff. She goes, you go to that class and you tell them you will you do belong in this class and you will be in this class and they will provide you with the support that you need. And then, of course, she wrote a letter and I went back to the class. And then, of course, I went into the class. Um, anyway, I'm just thinking of all the times that, you know, in my childhood that I I had received these new, not so nuanced, but these nuanced um, suggestions of my value. And because it, I was doing what I did and I had this very different value system that my parents gave me, which was very high value and integrity. And then I had this lived experience of Eugene that was very low value. And frankly, the people that were involved, everyone around me, were had very low integrity. So it was really like I was having to to juggle between the two. And this is not a reality just for me. This is very much a reality of black folks and people of color in Eugene, even to this present day. So, you know, when people around us want to like pretend like they are, you know, not racist or they are an ally or they are whatever the hell they want to do, it's low integrity when you don't act on it, when you don't have an action plan behind it. And so the story of the moral of this story is to realize that every day, that this is not this the the actions of anti-racism or the actions of just inclusion or just living is not theoretical for people of color and me very personally it very much and just like the other kids that I grew up with who were people of color not that I saw them I just know them as adults um it affected everything that we do and some of us never recovered right some of us never got, got to the other side to the other side and realized what we had been swallowing was crap Right. So that that part to me is evident. Um, And it's when you it's that idea of like, oh, my gosh, I'm looking at my oppressor and I'm saying, you know, um, I've moved on. I, I, I no longer have a seat at this table. This this seat that you crafted for me at this table um, it has thorns on it. You know, I'm bleeding from behind. Right. I'm bleeding from everywhere I sit when I if I sit at your table. So at that part, you know, I had to create my own. And that's where, um, you know, the healing really began. But it came through really profound pain to get to the point where I can say, I'm just going to leave and uh, I'm just not going to be present here anymore. No, I'm still going to work and I'm still going to help. I'm still going to actually help because the fight is real and I believe deeply in the fight for the, for the better of everyone. But for me, I've, I'm tattered. And I and those those uh, tattered wounds uh, have began to to uh, to heal, and there's no way that I'm going to go back to uh, negotiating whether or not I deserve the time to heal, right? And that's what's really interesting to me is that when I listen to other people talk about the fight, you know, I got to be here for the fight. Black and brown people, 
I mean, I hope one day you realize it's not your fight to fight, right? It's your fight. It's your time. This is the time for us to be living. White folks got to fight this fight. This is about them. And this is about them coming to, uh, to come into a moment. Of, what, what do they say? What do the Christians say? Uh, come to Jesus moment. Like th- th- we're in it right now. We're in it right now. So I think about um, how to navigate, you know, my past and, and coming to a real understanding. I can just like, I, and I just stopped with those examples I gave y'all. I, I literally stopped in middle school. I didn't even go really deeply into high school. That was like my freshman, sophomore year. <laughs> Right. So I could go, you know, even further and give you more stories that will make you cringe. But that's not really the point. Uh, It didn't it wasn't cringy for me at the time. And that is the point. I had accepted a line. I accepted a role um, that was beneath me and truly um, a space that that um, is is not a spot of shame at all. Like I'm not. I don't feel shame about any of it. Um, I just feel as if it is. It is um, enough. I, f- I feel I have gone beyond enough to uh, claim my peace. Right. I have gone enough to uh, to be able to say, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, F off. And don't call me no more, right? <laughs> like, I think I have, I've gone through enough to be able to claim my space. And so with that being said, I, I want I want to encourage anyone and everyone while the world is falling around us, especially um, uh, people with uteruses, femme-bodied people, especially as we recognize how the, the folks in our lives, the people that we work with, who is willing to fight for our our right to live in this world, right? It can very, very much be in um, in uh, tandem, in stride with with uh, the way that Black folks have had to live in this world, right? So now that we got you know women and thin bodied people or people with uteruses um, in the in the line of fire. It's like we we want to forget that this part was uh, reality for black women, you know, all the way up until it wasn't for white women too, right? This was the reality for us. And I mean, I don't even want to start talking about my my experiences in the healthcare system, even as uh, you know, as a patient. I don't even want to go there because that that you you don't trust trust you don't want to hear it. It is gross. And it is, uh, I mean, I, I could have other people here and give stories upon stories upon stories. And that's, that's the point is, is to let it go, is to bring it out, talk about it, but do not return to it, right? Look at it and say, you know what? I saw that and I made it through that. And thank you that I made it through. And who are you thanking? You're thanking your higher self, and your higher self is calling you to the next step, right? Um, and of course, it's scary. But what's it, what? How much scarier could it be than to repeat what you just went through over and over and over again, and let your friends and your children and your grandchildren and your and your cousins and sisters and aunties watch you go through that over and over again? What's worse, uncertainty? It's you. We have power in ourselves. That's the one thing I, ha- I actually realized about myself is that if I, the only reason I wouldn't step forward is because I don't believe I can do it. 
And you know, that's crap. So if I made it through this, I can definitely make it through that. And if I don't make it through that, it's because I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to do something else and that will show up too, right? It will show up. My purpose is in my effort. It's there. How I show up is the, is the, is the thing, right? Is the lesson how I show up. So I just want to give that to you as I have thought through this and I have tried to uh, create a space of growth and create a, a, um, a system of courage and something that I can reflect on when I am, again, unsure to remember that not only do I love myself, but I believe in myself and I believe in my authentic self. Even if the whole world says, have a seat, I know if I, if I feel that I need to be standing, then that's what the hell I will do. And that's what I want everyone else to, to recognize in themselves. You have the right answer, even if it's the answer that no one else is saying, but it feels, it feels strong in you. And you go, oh, I, I just wish I, I, if I could only, you can only, you absolutely can at, at any point. And so I want, you know, I just wanted to extend that praise and that uh, understanding of the strength and who we are and who you are and who I am. And that doesn't have to look like the next person. You know, it just has to be your next reach into courage, your next far edge, right? Your next step doesn't have to look like mine, doesn't have to look like theirs, but you know what it is. And without stepping into it, you're doing the whole, you're doing yourself a disservice and everyone that comes into that space. I know, no pressure, right? No pressure, no pressure. Uh, Anyway, I'm moving and that's the only thing that's on my mind. (laughs) We are packing our house as we speak. It'll be me and my three grandchildren. I have a set of identical twin boys who are two and a half years old and I have a five-year-old who um, is uh, right at my toe at all times. So the, the four of us will jump on a plane and um, head over to Costa Rica where my house is waiting for me, my car is waiting for me, and um, my new sense of safety and love and grace and patience and freedom is waiting for me. And I cannot wait to tell you guys all about it. Uh, Also, uh, tonight I am recording a podcast with a crew of people from the Oregon Country Fairs Diversity Committee who wants to talk about uh, what they had gone through and what it meant for them to be basically erased from the efforts of uh, diversity and inclusion in this year's fair. If y'all caught me in my last podcast, a podcast before, I talked a little bit about that. Um, But I wanted to bring some guests in to have that uh, be, to to let them also release uh, release this this experience and to allow you all to witness that. Um, I do have uh, another podcast in the works along the lines of a nuance of racism um, in working as a black uh, young lady yet yet again, working in a a performative uh, white space that uh, basically um, let her go in the most uh, disrespectful way and uh, then blamed it on 
uh, then blamed it on uh, something that was just, it's just absurd. And it's all very racist. And we will explain why that's coming up soon, too. So please stay tuned uh, to my podcast and follow me uh, uh, on Instagram, please, please, please. And also, please, if you uh, want to support me and maintaining this podcast, $5 is plenty to do that with, and you can do that on Patreon. So I uh, appreciate you tuning in every single week and tuning in every time the podcast uh, alerts you to do so. I appreciate you deeply, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. All right now, this is Black Girl from Eugene. Peace.